If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. 28, I believe. And I just wanted to bring this thought today quickly, and I, I, I have written myself some notes here, and I want to say that uh, recognizing that there's so many pitfalls in life um, is, I believe, something that we can all relate to easily. Uh, my friend Bill Ross, who was a fireman in California, after I told him a saying that I liked, he told me that the uh, phrase of 5% of what happens and 95% of how you react to it was a uh, actually a training aspect of when he was working in the firefighting department and that it was a safety safety training instead of like a, you know, cultural or like character building move, that mindset was put into place for them and taught uh, in the event that something, you know, catastrophic was happening in front of them. And at that time, it was more important Uh, the most important thing is to keep your head and react calmly. So calm in a stressful situation. And even though it isn't, it wasn't taught, at least the bill, it wasn't taught as a character builder, uh, it certainly turned out to be one because it really does apply to all parts of our lives if we let it. And so studying that phrase and looking at that phrase caused me to look at another popular phrase about nothing is certain in life except for death and taxes. And that's my bridge to bringing this table into focus because that reality, that very stark reality, uh, makes this table uh, probably the most important one of the most important things that we could ever spend time thinking about, especially all of the things behind it. So as far as my scripture goes, I chose a real mouthful to read here, the intro. Uh, Thanks to Neil and all of his classes that's going on right now. I've been in 1st and 2nd Peter for the last couple of weeks reading. And... Those letters are written to God's elect scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Blithania. I think I'm saying that right. And Paul writes this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, starting there, talking about our salvation. And he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them into pits of darkness, held for judgment. By the way, this is a very long sentence. 
verse 5, and, it, and did not spare the ancient world, but uh, protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example of what is coming for the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, righteous Lot, who was opposed by a perverted conduct of unscrupulous people. And verse 8 is in parentheses. It says, For by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tor tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from a trial and keep the keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the flesh, its corrupt passion, and despise authority. Thinking about those realities, and that's from our Father, and we do recognize, obviously, the Son here. And I have written this to close, that we give thanks for our loving, loving Father, and the Son who carried out the mission of our salvation. Amen.
we consider our offering today. As I look on my bulletin here, I see how our giving is going within our congregation and those who support our ministry. And thank God for faith of our Christian brethren to help us to promote this word, promote the message that we're doing, maintain the presence and all the things that we do to bring the truth of God's word before people, not only in our community, but that that are hearing us through the medium that we have, and it will continue as we expand these things and become more and more a presence in that in that field. All of that is being considered and taken care of by the brethren of Christ that have done so. And in, indeed, we thank God for that. <coughs> Let us pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for your ways. For your ways are loving ways. Your ways are ways that always come back with a real work accomplished. And in that, Father, we have great faith. Your word, as it goes out, will not return void. Thank you for this. We thank you for our brethren and the love that we share. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Very good. We're going to look at um, Luke chapter 11 today. Just a few very, uh, I think, well-known scriptures that we read from Jesus. The 11th chapter of Luke where Jesus will be teaching on (laughs) on a variety of topics, if you will. And that's the way it was, of course, because of those that were around him, uh, not just the apostles, but the others gathered uh, at, from time to time with him during his ministry. And these topics that were very necessary for his ministry to be understood by the people of that time. Remember, this, is, this was the effort here. The people of that time, where he was, the Jewish covenant people, This was a message for them. He was dealing with their concerns, their misunderstandings, their problems. The world that they lived in, we know that, we look at this, but I think we can also learn much from Jesus' teaching on any of these subjects. Because some of these things, friends, just continue on within the issue of people wherever they may be. And the first one here um, is that Jesus is asked to teach the apostles to pray. And just looking at the first four verses here, and I'm reading from the NIV because I like uh, some of the the way it's, it's laid out so simply and clearly in the vernacular of, well, at least 1984. 
Um, one day, in verse 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, that is, Jesus was responding, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now we read in another gospel, a little more expanded on the end of that that prayer. Um, But let's talk about it. Um, First off, what is meant by the Greek word, Pray and the, the word pray or um, praying here is all the same word. We've talked about this a lot in this body, in this congregation. Um, according to um, one of the texts I use, the Greek uh, concordance, Zodiatus, Spiro Zodiatus, in his, uh, his uh, definition of this, this word is from. Uh, the preposition pros, which means to, and erkamaya, pray or vow. So it, it's to pray a vow. Uh, an example of praying. Uh, let's look at an example using those same exact words. Matthew 6, 6 through 8. Matthew 6, 6 through 8. All right. My Bible says this. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now that's Jesus defining prayer to an individual. We don't argue with with that whatsoever. Uh, This is the the communication. John, the, the immerser, had been teaching his disciples concerning prayer. Remember, they lived in a different time period then. Men, as the head of the family, went to the priest and, so, and, and asked him to pray for them, to help them uh, to express things to God um, in, in a way it was a different situation. Um, Yet men still prayed on their own also, but they would go to the priest because they wanted to make be make these things known unto the the priests of the people, if you will. But today, within the within the Lord's assembly, um, we are all priests in, in that in that fashion. We are all servants servants of our Savior and our God. 
So what do we find here? The context, the, I think the context of this prayer that, that Jesus laid out, that he did as an example, if you will, I think the context of Jesus' instruction on prayer is most important for those speaking the words. I think we need to consider it. Um, verse 2, where it says, Father, you know, hallowed be thy name, is, is the recognition, if you will, of God as being a holy God and the creator of all that is. That's the recognition. I think it should be first. I believe the order here is just as important as anything else. The order. Recognition of God. That, that's the idea of bringing glory to God. Glorified means recognition of your place, if you will. Verse 2. Faith in, in Also, faith in God's promises to the covenant people. Because it goes on, it says, your kingdom come. The people of that day were awaiting the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. They waited in faith. Faith in God's promises. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whether you were a Jewish person or anyone. Now, this is why we can say, I don't I can't pray that prayer because I know the kingdom of God has come. I should thank God for the, the the kingdom that has come. And we do. We thank him because of Jesus and because of the covenant, the new covenant that was purchased in his blood. That's what Jesus said in Matthew sixteen sixteen. So reciting this prayer in a rote fashion, friends does bring a little bit of a problem, doesn't it? Because we're expressing the idea of your kingdom come. Do we mean that? Is there another one coming? According, according to the scriptures, all the way through, there is no more kingdom to come. It's the kingdom without end that will never be conquered or turned over to anyone else. Verse 3. Requests, we find, requests or petitions, if you will, for the welfare of our needs. And there's many needs here, starting with forgiveness of sin, um, the, our daily bread, the things that are necessary for life. We have well requests for welfare. And, and also, here is where I see Here is where I see the vow portion of this prayer. Where it says, For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Friends, that is a vow to God of of our actions, that we are vowing to be that person. By the way, the scriptures are also clear that if we can't forgive those who sin against us, don't expect to be forgiven yourself. That's a vow. So do you, do you see the simplicity of the word? I don't believe there's any argument here. We all know that prayer is not our Christmas list, okay? That's not what it is. We know that. And, and that's just a matter of maturity, I think. A lot of times, 
very uh, immature people will have such things as that. But it's still not a real offense to me. When they learn, they will learn. They will mature. So we find here, Jesus' example of a prayer was a fitting prayer for the Jewish person of Jesus' time. But I say it's not really something that we should be reciting in a rote fashion. I have even participated in such a thing myself many, many years ago. As I realized, um, I was in error. I need to be looking at, at, this, at the way things truly are concerning the kingdom of God. They needed to look at things the way that things truly were concerning the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. Isn't that what the message was? The nearness of the kingdom? It was. It was at hand. Very good. So, Jesus is not refraining from teaching people to pray. He's giving them a wonderful outline of the things that should be said and even giving, I think, an order. Don't forget to recognize the one you're praying to and in whose name, as a Christian, we close our our prayers in. And then he goes on to, 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 like he always does in all of his lessons, the example, but then actually an illustration, if you will. The next uh, few verses, 5 through 8. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Then Jesus says this, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet, yet, Because of the man's boldness, or persistence, if you will, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So what's being said here? The persistent one who prays. What does he expect? He expects an answer. He expects something, he expects to be heard, if you will. But an answering. Um, God expects action also, I believe, from those seeking him. God expects everyone to do their part and then he will do his part. As a matter of fact, he's already done his part, if you will. But he will help us, even if it's just in the understanding of the whole concept. God expects action from those seeking him. Not just a mental assent, but some action. It is very noticeable between people when one is sincere about their needs. You know, when somebody really has needs, they're busy about trying to fulfill those needs. They're actually working on it, worrying about it, taking care of it, doing what they can. Then, when people step in and help them, the blessing becomes so obvious. 
Not only the person doing it, but the reason for it. And Jesus knows the heart and mind of man. That's why he can make this lesson and make it clear. Use use the pattern, use a a wonderful uh, illustration. Jesus knows the heart and mind of man. And he he above all men know his Father and the nature of his Father, the things his Father will do and will not do. One thing God always does that, but that Christians need to continually say is that God keeps his promises, every one, every one of them, whether they be a blessing or a curse. He keeps his promises under the, uh, under the, uh, the qualifications of what is being expressed. It, it, you can't take it out of context. You can't mix it up that way. You've got to always remember the context is important to both the blessing and the curse, as it's known. So, as it goes on here, from verse 9 through 13, I think man uh, needs to understand that he must seek his God to find him. You know, this uh, generational thing, when I was a young man, uh, uh, young people went out to find themselves. <laughs> and uh, it sounds kind of silly now, doesn't it? Nonetheless, they did so. And uh, normally they didn't really like what they found. Um, they didn't found that nobody really cared about that. But what we should be seeking and what should we should be going out and finding about is what God, who God is and what he expects from us. Since by the time we're old enough to go out and seek, we should be able to understand that we have some responsibilities. And that, that we didn't just appear. That there is a, there's a big picture. Find out where you're at in it. That was, that was, maybe that's what they were looking for. Uh, I didn't have time to uh, go out and look for myself. Um, I found that I was already being uh, tasked to do the, the bidding of others by that time. So from verse 9, Jesus goes on to say this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, but he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And he goes on to say this, Which of you fathers, because there were fathers in the group. If your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Spirit to those who ask him. Now, 
God is the giver of all good gifts. Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. James 1, 16 through 18. This used to be one of my favorite passages. All right, James writing, and a lot of this is, this is all concerning the feelings and the emotions of men concerning themselves and God. But James says, be not led astray. My brethren, beloved, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the lights, with whom is no variation or shadow of turning. Having counseled, he did beget us with a word of truth, for our being a certain firstfruits of his creation. So, When we think about giving and gifts uh, here, as a son asks a father, um, we can take it right back to this. God is the giver of all good gifts. And not only that, how much more at just the right time. This is what I've noticed in my life in the way of answered prayers or, or situations. That is the timing. At just the right time. In other words, you're going to be dealing with the situation right up to the end of it. And the resolution has a lot to do with who you are in God's eyes. How much more at just at the right time is our Father in Heaven doing for those in Christ? Now, I always qualify it with those in Christ because, friends, I cannot tell you or even talk about what God is doing for those that are not in Christ. I don't know what he's doing. Are they being blessed? Well, yes. If, if you have two farmers, one's a, a Christian farmer, one's a, an unchristian farmer, it does rain on the, both of their crops. Is that not a blessing? It is. Is, is God, can God's providence do as he pleases? It, it surely can. God, everything is possible with God. Jesus said that, and I think I believe him. Everything is possible. So I don't qualify anything, but those in Christ I know about. Those in Christ is where the promise is that I, I speak about, that I think about, that I can stand upon. Verse 12, the way our scriptures are laid out, it's a little bit hard to understand that verse. Um, I mean, it, it's good, the last part of the, the, the verse, where it says, how much more will your Father in heaven give? Okay, it should finish, it should be like this, according to the Greek. It should be read, the Father who is in heaven will give spirit. Then the, the word holy, the adjective is on the end. To those that ask him. By the way, the will give is future tense. Future tense. 
and spirit here is is neuter. Now, I believe this whole this whole statement here in verse twelve. I believe it's in reference to those that are accepting God's terms of pardon and being made a new creation in Christ, which indeed, friends, makes our spirit holy. The the trouble we have in Christendom is that every time we see the word spirit, we immediately uh, fall into the mode of three gods, and we're talking about the uh, the God. Even though the scripture doesn't teach that, that's what we're thinking, what people are thinking. But you have a spirit too. Were you not created in the image and likeness of God himself? Of course you were. We're talking about God's spirit here. This is what he poured out upon those in Christ. That spirit, which was holy because it comes from him. And as we are truly, truly new creations in Christ, friends, our nature is as Christ is and our spirit is holy. That's why the scripture can say, be holy as God is holy. You can't do it apart from him. We know that. It's being in Christ is how we can be have the piety that we need, how we can have the spirit that we need, a spirit that is holy, a spirit that is loving, and, and the spirit we should be able to define it um, in all those different ways. But never give up your spirit, the idea that you have a spirit too. Just because someone capitalizes something a couple of letters in the Bible. Remember, the capitalization is not inspired here. The words are. But um, a lot of the things in there, even some of the commas and exclamation points are added. Some of it's it's fair. I mean, I'm not going to say it, it isn't. But as far as the capitalization, we need to be careful there. And when it's in the neuter, I don't believe we should be capitalizing that word. God, Spirit, if you want to capitalize God and Spirit, you certainly could. Now, that's just my uh, two cents worth. It's, it's, it's uh, offered freely today without any real strength. But I think this is what Jesus is teaching here in reference to, that's why the future tense is so important here, in reference to this giving of the Spirit that has not yet really arrived, but is, is very close by, if you will. This is the concept of being in Christ, of having a Messiah, a Redeemer in our life that we live within. We are separated from our sins, and God sees them no more and remembers them no more in that person. We're going we're gonna to pause there today and let you think about that a while. I thought about it quite a little while and have been.
but I really appreciate the teaching of Jesus. Um, we find it, of course, manifested uh, again and again within the apostolic letters, these, these concepts. But remember, this was a teaching for them. At that day, they needed to hear it. And I think it's very important. And, of course, it was very effective <clears throat> as far as it went within those that would believe. We pray those things have been useful to you today. As we depart, let us close with the singing of Let Jesus Come Into Your Heart. <clears throat>